Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you know, uh, a little under the weather. Um, better than I uh, than I was a couple days ago, but I'm um, still coming uh, over something. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, thank you. It's uh, it's been a while. It's it's probably New Year for some culture or other. Yeah. Uh, so, um, it's been a while since we've last recorded, but we needed that time to really um, absorb the cultural contradictions of capitalism by Daniel Bell, mm-hmm. which we're discussing today, uh, which was my pick. And uh, yeah, quite a thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a spe- it's a specimen. It is. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's do it. Um, <laughs> what did you What did you think? I just feel like lately we've been doing a lot of like really um, dense um, books. You know what I'm saying? Like really dense. Um, uh, not just dense, but like multifaceted, thoughtful. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Full of and thought. All, and all variations on a theme is is our want. Um, but yeah, what what did you think? I enjoyed it. Um, yep. Probably a little too thoughtful for where, <laughs> I, for where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, in my internet-induced ADD, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, as as you said, or I said, or whoever said, um, is very thoughtful. Uh, like there's a a real like intellect shining through there. So. Yeah. Not that our other authors aren't great intellects either, but um, you know, it's just an example of I think what people meant by intellectual. Right. We do not have people like this anymore. Maybe we do, but not not, not maybe right. writing for like a public audience like this. This correct. Was I assume I for a public audience. <laughs> I think if there are people like this, they keep to themselves. Um, I don't know if they know each other, but they. You know what I'm saying? Right. Sure. Yeah, like why? Why would they stick 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 their, stick their necks out? Um, but yeah, so Daniel Bell, um, American sociologist, um, part of the original neocon crew, um, started the public interest with Irving Kristol. Was part of that you know whole crew at, at City University of New York that you know became so influential. And he wrote uh, like three books, I think. This is one of them, obviously. And this book is a collection of essays. Did you know that? I, I figured that out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's disjointed, uh, which is ironic, um, given that this joinder is a theme here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little disjointed. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a collection of essays that were published in the public interest and Daedalus and whatever else, whatever these, these old uh, intellectual journals. Um, and what is it about? Uh, it's kind of his uh, diagnosis of what's wrong with modernity. Um, and he puts the blame on capitalism, which I think is very interesting, um, by saying uh, uh, that capitalism, uh, or 
anyhow, I mean, the capitalism has internal contradictions, but it's not really the contradictions aren't within capitalism, actually. Um, they're, they're contradictions in society that are exposed by capitalism, if that makes sense. Um, so should we, should I, well, I mean, I'll just start by saying. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so he basically, I mean, at the very beginning, and this is like the, the axiom of the book, right? Society can be divided into three realms, he calls them, right? There's the social structure, which he calls the techno-economic order, which is like um, where production and consumption happens, right? Mm -hmm. There is the polity, which is politics and government. And then there's the culture. And the culture um, was once more dominated by religion, uh, expressed in art, etc., among other things, in literature and, and just religion. Um, but increasingly, the culture has um, uh, eschewed religion and now is just art. Uh, of, a and very, of a very specific kind. Of a very specific kind, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that basically uh, that these three realms are ruled by um, diverging um, uh, principles that are creating these contradictions, right? So the economic realm or the social structure, whatever the hell, the technical economic order is ruled by um, efficiency uh, and hierarchy. Um, you get that, you know, that's like Industrial Revolution 101 type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the like political, the firm, the firm like, yep. yeah, IBM. IBM, and not just IBM, but like the you know, what this reminds me of the speech for by uh in network, yeah, um, Arthur Jensen, <laughs> Arthur Jensen, right? Yes. So that's the economic realm. Uh, the political realm is ruled by the principle of equality, um, and participation, uh, and the cultural realm is ruled by the principle of self realization, uh, or you could say self gratification, right. And these things obviously create um, contradictions um, because if the social structure is hierarchical and about efficiency, but the polity is about equality, well, these things, you know, contradict each other. Um, and if the social structure is ruled by efficiency and reason, but the cultural realm is ruled by feelings and authenticity, right yeah or, and, and irrationality and irrationality yeah yeah um uh, the social realm is uh organized in terms of roles and specialization but the culture emphasizes fulfillment and the self right and self-development so anyhow you've got all these contradictions which he says are the root of everything that's going wrong uh what else um so yeah, so the, the interesting thing to me is that he he talks a lot about modernism in culture, mm -hmm. which he I guess has started um, before World War One. Is it before World War One or right after? Yeah, I guess before World War One. I mean, yeah, in like the late nineteenth century, or even depending yeah. where you were, even towards the middle. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't put the blame on modernism. He puts the blame on capitalism. Um. Uh, for 
for the fact that culture is becoming all about self-realization, about the rejection of restraint, um, about being anti-bourgeois, right? Mm -hmm. And he puts it, and it's very, it's you know, it's near near to my heart. It's very rebel cell, right? Yeah. He he puts the blame on like basically on consumer culture, driven by by mass production, on credit, um, uh, you know, and and all of that, uh, on advertising, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And he, and he has, he has, he has. I mean, basically, he he has a miniature version of the rebel cell in here. Um, explaining how there's nothing rebellious about this. It's all commodified, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I'll stop there. Okay. And get you, allow you to react. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to say that he blames it all on, on capitalism because it is yep. so, it's so, it's so connected. And yes, you would think, so this is a book about sociology, but a good, I mean, I'm not going to say half, but like almost half of it is talking about, culture and like high culture and how um you know in the renaissance people used to walk like this but in modernity <laughs> people walk like that yeah. um so he he is not like he, he describes himself as like a socialist in economics but he's not like a super crude marxist that just says yeah. that oh because of the steam engine um you know everyone watches the simpsons now or whatever <laughs> they were watching in the 70s uh <laughs> three's company um so i i don't know if he fully blames it all on on capitalism i think he he, he almost feels uh you know he almost feels sorry for these like poor little like bourgeois people that yeah. um you know for hundreds of years operating under like some version of like a protestant work ethic Yep. We're striving for, um, you know, to show their good works or, or whatever version of, of Protestantism. Yeah. yeah. But more, more than that, even like the, the accumulation of wealth is a sign of uh, a grace. Like I belong, yeah. I'm like, literally like I'm, we make, we make money to show that we deserve to go to heaven and not hell or, or right. again, whatever version of Protestantism they're operating under. Um, and you know we take cold baths and eat vegetables or whatever he says towards the end of the book um and we don't dance and we don't buy comfortable bed sets and all these other things because that's that's like the road to ruin and for hundreds of years these these people have been operating under that that system and growing the economic pie for everybody and then sometime in like the early part of the 20th century or even earlier it just completely got out of their control <laughs> and this they created this monster that just kind of ate the entire system yep um but so I do think, yeah, yeah. no so again i guess you're right because so he's he's like an interesting duck right in the beginning he he describes himself as like a, what, a socialist in economics a liberal in politics and basically like comrudgeon in <laughs> culture right? right so i don't know if you see these kinds of people around so much anymore so maybe that's kind of what i'm reacting against and not fully grokking that he is fully fine with like a bourgeois more or less like bourgeois cultural norms but he is a socialist so of course he he kind of feels bad for people that work hard and uh, listen to good music but you know it's capitalism's fault nonetheless <laughs> um 
but yeah, I think it's a very, I guess you got it more than I did, but it is more of like a subtle critique of, because he couches it more in like, in a critique of consumerism. That's the thing is, is you're absolutely right. (laughs) Basically the point that he makes is that the Protestant work ethic and the Puritan uh, kind of feeling of restraint, right? Which were grounded in religion is what held capitalism in check. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gone. And when, you, and when that's gone, you allow for, uh, you know, everything that comes after that. Yeah, but, hedonism, basically. Hedonism, basically, yeah. But he basically says, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, he says, I'm trying to look at my notes, but he says that it's not, that it's just that Puritanism and Protestant, Protestant work ethic were not undermined by modernism or by culture, right? Um, it was undermined by capitalism. And he basically, yeah, I made, I made some notes. He says, I, I wrote I wrote down that he blames credit cards, which allow for instant gratification, uh, creation of uh, new wants and new means of gratifying those wants. Uh, what, what, yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, he, he basically um, blames, you know, the capitalism getting out of hand right which is interesting right that i haven't seen that before usually i see um uh, capitalism just being how do i put this um capitalism just gives you like whatever you put in you get out right Uh and i've seen critiques you know we've read before critiques where the blame is put on liberalism where the inexorable logic of liberalism is that you're going to get more and more hedonistic. And as a result, capitalism is going to, you know, the market is going to respond to that by giving you what you're, what you're demanding. But he actually blames the market, I guess, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, at the root of it, it is the blame will lie on this the wealth right it's 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 the wealth and the goods that are produced by capitalism that allows people to kind of flip their shit um but it's also it, it is like the change in culture that occurred yep um that it, it like sets an example for people to follow um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like in, so like, again, the, the book is a bunch of essays, well, a bunch of right. like six essays that are all yeah. like <laughs> their own book. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, spoiler alert, you can probably just read the first one and get the gist, <laughs> uh, which is itself like 80 pages long or something. I think it's yeah. the, the preface to the, the later edition of the book or something. But in one of those sections, and I forget which one I have it written somewhere is, he does talk about like what finally broke the back of kind of the 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 grouchy uh you know guy that like the scrooge right so what 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 turns scrooge into something else and it was like the ability for consumers to borrow and i mean this isn't like even credit cards this is i, I forget what he like called layaway it. or whatever layaway yeah. right like we, which we don't use now anymore but yeah it's just like you get the thing now and you can pay for it later right whereas and I mean, he basically says like, this is what did it. This is what broke like the fear of usury and borrowing yeah. um, for at least the middle class. And he focuses largely on 
you know, like you know, he talks about like late capitalism or whatever you want to call it as it's not producer based, it's consumer based. Right. We're not talking like steel right. mills and oil platforms and like coal mines and whatever else. It's refrigerators and like consumer goods and and durable consumer goods and that sort of thing. So in that sense, like, yeah, totally. Um, well, he, but, I think it's absolutely that, but I think it's also um, the, you, basically the, the erasure of like the isolation of small town that he describes. So like the automobile, the radio, the cinema, the television, these things um, uh, made it possible so that people could live um, uh, sort of outside of their isolated communities, right? And so that plus credit <laughs> um, is is what broke the back, I think. Does that, does that, does that ring true to you? Yeah, yes, ex yes, it does. Um, and he has a, a very long section about Oh, there's so much stuff in the. There's so much stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're barely going to scratch the surface. Um, you know, his description of basically like the destruction of like the small town mentality in America, right. um, and this is not necessarily like an attractive feature of American culture. It is, you know, it's like Mrs. Flanders basically. Like imagine like an entire country full of. Um, <laughs> of Ned and whatever his wife's name is like, that's kind of what it was. Um, and he says that industrial capitalism basically destroyed, uh, destroyed those small towns. And then like the coup de gras was ironically like the end of industrial capitalism when it, like it, maybe you had like a steel mill in town or something, you could kind of like be blue collar, blue collar and kind of work in the middle of the country somewhere and have like a decent well-paying job and after those things started falling apart that's when everybody like went to the big cities and the coasts and that sort of thing and we, you got the rust belt so yeah like well people were you know they moved to the cities and were able to live or not able but like had to live um isolated atomized uh you know anonymous lives yeah and back home you know where before you could be policed by just by virtue of just you know it's, it's not something nefarious about it it's just it's just how you lived you lived um in a small community where you you know your reputation mattered and everything now you can get in a car and go to the you know the town down the road to get your porn right or whatever and bring it back and it's more anonymous more you know what i'm saying so it's yeah exactly so it it's as he points out, like it's impossible for small communities to police themselves with actual police. Right. Like it's just too expensive. Like you're not, you're not going to do that. So, you know, that's where you get like gossiping and, and shunning and, and that sort of behavior, which we all obviously like a thousand billion gajillion, like movies, books, sitcoms, TV shows have driven into our head that that is bad. Right. right? The, the hero or heroine is, is escaping. Uh, the overbearing small town mentality is uh, is escaping puritanism. Is, yeah, exactly. Is escaping yeah. like the last vestige of, of a, like puritanism. Um, you know, and those people are the villains. They're the ones that don't want you dancing, basically, right? Yeah, right. Uh, except those people were a hundred percent right. Like dancing leads <laughs> to fornication and, uh, and the destruction of society. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. Um, it's all, it's all, it's as soon as you start pulling on a thread, it all kind of, you get the whole, yeah. you get the whole ball of string. But yeah, as he, as he, 
as he goes into great detail about um it's all of these things that are made possible by by capitalism even like like modernity or modern art say right um those go hand in hand with capitalism at least in the beginning um and it's only when they kind of turn on you know, it, 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 they've always been kind of anti-bourgeois, right? The modernist writers and painters and sculptors mm -hmm. and whoever, right? They were always anti-bourgeois, but you could almost kind of ignore them for, mm -hmm. you know, the first 50 or 100 years. If, if you were a tycoon or even like a small town, you know, gypsum mine owner or whatever, like you, you don't really have to pay attention to a bunch of weirdos wearing women's clothing in Greenwich Village. But um, it completely took over the culture, kind of under everyone's nose. And um, as he points out, like the six, he really does not like sixties counterculture, which he always right. puts in quotes. Um, you know, he points out that this is just—I I don't know if he, if he says like this is just decadence. This is like the decadent, like kind of death groan of modernism because all the damage was done already. Like you know, like the, what is it? The Marlon Brando movie where somebody asks like, what are you rebelling against? And he says, what have you got? Right. Um, that's like, that damage was done like <laughs> years and decades ago. So all of that was kind of like a weird pose that led to nothing and created nothing. Like the damage had been done already. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the point, right? It's the, the cultural contradictions of, of capitalism, uh, he doesn't just focus on like layaway plans and and factories and mines opening and closing. He does really go deeply into like the cultural aspect of it. Yep. So, uh, you know, if people haven't read it, it's not, it is dry, <laughs> but it isn't, um, it isn't very, like there's not a lot of economics in it really. Right. It's not. Oh no. Yeah. Because like economists hadn't fully taken over everything. There's um, a little bit, um, I wouldn't call yeah. it economics, but in the last or second to last chapter about the the public household or whatever, mm -hmm. which is his bespoke word for public finances, right? For like sure. the government <laughs> budget, um, where he gets into all kinds of um, economic predictions that turn out to be wrong. Um, right, yeah. I mean, there were a few... Uh... Yes, yeah. <laughs> about it, you know, it, it, so this is written in 1976, I think it was published. Um, and so he's concerned about um inflation. Uh, oh, how silly! How silly! <laughs> and uh, he's afraid about the Japanese taking over, uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so there's that, but which is actually quite a bit. Um, just to slog through um but yeah short of that it's it's all sociological yeah which is another interesting thing because he just doesn't get into um i mean you can just pick up a, a book now and economists have, have taken over so much like yeah. i don't think i don't think you could get away with this sort of analysis yeah um you would definitely need like inflation rates and home ownership rates in the 20s versus the 50s and like that explains everything right uh, where he really doesn't he doesn't really get into that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, <laughs> as you said, 
these are different these are essays right that he kind of put into a book and then he I guess bookended can you bookend in the front like there's a super long essay in the beginning which basically explains the entire thesis yeah. yep uh, which is why I said you could just kind of read that yeah um, and then there's a, a long even longer <laughs> I don't know how he did this an even longer epilogue at the end which I think was written in the 90s right um which is totally unsatisfying well yeah. would you agree everything in the 90s is unsatisfying <laughs> <laughs> I think like you couldn't again you couldn't really write books like this and I think maybe it's unsatisfying because we were around uh what do you mean well I mean you can kind of write um I think if you weren't around for a certain decade or era um the writing about it might seem more uh more interesting whereas if you were kind of there uh, especially in the 90s right it's uh I don't know. It's it's it. it... Oh, you know what? You you, you must have had um, a newer edition. Oh, really? That has, yeah, because I'm I read, uh, I read the old, you know, the original 1978 printing. Oh, okay, you don't have the afterword. I no, I have. I thought you were referring to the thing at the, you know, the well, what I imagine to be the last chapter, that basically he says we need to um, return to liberalism or whatever. Oh, is this the public the public household? Yeah. With, okay. However, that ends. It ends with. Um, oh yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and that was unsatisfying. Okay, no. The the reaffirmation of liberalism is how he ends it. Right, but I mean, it's it's. So what what does the nineties one? What does the the new afterwards say? I mean, it, Jerry, it is. Oh wow. It's it's over fifty pages long. Oh wow. Yeah. It's, Dodge the bullet. Yeah, it's like sixty pages long. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. I thought you had the latest version. I mean, that's okay. I mean, it kind of reiterates again. That's the funny thing. It's there's a lot of reiteration of like the the entire book, which was itself reiterated in the very first uh, yes, <laughs> the first essay. And the themes um, are repeated throughout. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Like he's a very good oh, writer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of words I had to look up. Yes, that's right. More than once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, I think we probably don't want to like get into the nitty gritty details of it because I think we would lose ourselves and whatever audience is left. But <laughs> unless you want to, unless there's anything very, very peculiar you want to discuss. No, no. I mean, the funny thing is, is that like you, you just nod your head with all of this. Like it's, um, He's just putting together pieces that you already know in the way that you're like, oh yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And I kind of knew that, but yeah, I get you know, like, yeah. Um, as I say, there's a lot of rebel cell um, in this, right? Um, he talk he basically talks about distinction. He talks about authenticity. He talks about he uh, uh, notes I wrote down for myself. Uh, the impulse to rebellion has now been commercialized and institutionalized. Uh, as an advertising and personal attire, like this is off him writing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's cultural style. Uh, it allows the masses the luxury of so-called freer lifestyles while they maintain their roles in the hierarchically oriented economic system, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, he talks about luxury beliefs, basically. Luxury beliefs, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, so a lot of stuff we we know, but it's so interesting to see it, you know, so early and. And in, in this context, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, especially from someone who is, you know, I, I mean, you could say he's very left wing, but not like in a, uh, in, he's not, not, not in a yeah. dumb way. You know, <laughs> I think he's no, just, no, he, he's just, he says, he basically says, I'm a socialist um, uh, in the economic sphere, as you said. Uh, but by that, I, he doesn't mean Marxist. He just means that um, he does not take the individual as the end-all, be-all. He takes the, uh, what's, what is it, the, um, the commonwealth as the thing that you have to, that the polity has to manage for, the well-being of the commonwealth, not the well-being of the individual. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Um so one note I did take, um, which I thought was very interesting, he, he says that the quote-unquote growth mindset was a liberal invention. Uh, that Eisenhower, for example, consciously chose price stability over growth. Um, and so it's interesting, right? So, like, so he basically says that, um, I forget what he blames this on, um, but basically we've now um, have grown entitled to economic growth and the government is supposed to be managing for achieving greater and greater economic growth not for any other uh, public good um or, or, or what should i say not the exclusion of any other public good but um primarily for economic growth right um, because that's what allows the hedonism engine to continue Whereas in the past, and he points to Eisenhower, which is the very recent past, especially for him, uh, I forget what it was, but you know, he he showed that Eisenhower specifically chose economic policies that favored uh, full employment and price stability, at the you know fully cognizant that it was at the expense of economic growth. Right. This is like Mickey Kaus, um, uh is uh, uh, warm, you know, his heart is warmed by this. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I think he, I mean, he basically says this is like, these are the, it's the Keynesians who, uh, who put the emphasis on growth. I mean, it certainly wasn't like class. I don't think he says like it was classically liberal economists or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah. He says it's like, this, this is a post-war, I guess you could say Keynesian or at least, you know, like kind of interventionist mindset that, um, yeah, like we, we, yeah, there will be economic growth. People will be, I mean, cause that, it's, it's kind of the, the justification for the, 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 the regime, the, the polity, the, the government, yes. right. It's like, right. what, like, why else would we support you? We're not, you're not giving us anything else. Like there's no, um, like it used to except communism, right? There was that the anti-communist uh, fervor in the fifties, but he says that even by this, the sixties, that had kind of died down for various reasons. Right. Uh, yeah, I think you'd say that at some point in the past, um, the polities, uh, you know, legitimation was justified by providing for people's needs, right? Or making sure that you, know, you provide people's needs. Um, but now, after the Industrial Revolution, I guess, and after all this, it's become providing for people's wants. Even though people may 
misjudge their wants as needs. Um, it's really about wants. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try to find that section on, on economic growth, but it's, it's all, it's all, it's all over the place. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think the benefit for someone like me of reading a book like this and maybe for other people, unless they're already super intelligent folk is, you know, he, he is stepping back, you know, in a, and obviously like he has his own politics, like, you know, he, he says so as much, right? Yeah. Like he's not like, he's not trying to be some sort of college professor that doesn't tell you what he thinks or anything like that. Um, so I'm sure he has his own biases and he's like, he's reading, things in his own peculiar way but you know he is stepping back and at least trying to give a story of you know a very interesting moment in time for america and like an interesting phenomena in america that you know is still going on um in a very like it's not like a it's not a very it's not a crude explanation in, in like in one way or another, right? It's not like a libertarian story. It's not like a partisan Republican or Democrat story. It's not a conservative or a liberal story. Um, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to like, he, obviously he has his argument, but he doesn't favor, you know, he doesn't say like, well, the socialists were right after, all along. Right. 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 Because there are like, what kind of socialists are you this kind or that kind? You know, he's not like a, he's not a Stalinist or at least anymore, or I think he was a Trotskyist, right? At some point, like all these guys. They all were. Yeah. Uh, but I, th I think by now he's, you know, uh, is intelligent enough and honest enough to recognize that like the Soviet Union, like is a failure as far as like socialism goes. And um, maybe they can like create a, uh, a functioning society, but that's, that's, that's like, a, that has like almost little to no, nothing to do with like, socialism per se right and this is like the dream of the 30s it like died <laughs> um so anyway it's 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 useful for someone like me to like get this kind of wide ranging um 35,000 foot view of like a part of america like a part of american history that like a lot of people are kind of interested in but not not really you know like people love like the sixties mm -hmm. um, and I guess all the aging crusty millennials are like all into like the nineties and the, the teen, the oddies or whatever. And people even are into like the seventies and your generation, your dying Gen Xers are into the eighties, <laughs> but yeah. you know, like he spends a lot of time on, on things that maybe don't like bubble to the surface for a lot of like normies. Right. It's like, like all that stuff in the sixties, that's just, that's just like garbage crap, decadent nonsense that we did in the fifties. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing of value created in that entire decade. At least, you know, that's what I take from him. It was just all like hedonism, like awful, awful garbage. Um, but you know, like we, like the fifties was what really killed like bourgeois America. And like, obviously that's, that's probably true, right? Like the people, the people making rock music in like 1963, I mean, they were obviously born before the sixties, right? Uh, 
so like all that stuff that happened in the 60s was probably done by people who were born in the 40s or maybe the 50s so it, it's it's good for someone like me who just like doesn't know that much about a lot of things like here's like it's his version of here's what really happened here's like the the forbidden knowledge or whatever um and in a way that's not just reeking of like kind of current current yeah. time uh explanations where like he talks about like race issues and like um I don't know, I guess gender issues, but not really just like women entering the workforce or birth control and like sexual liberation, but not in the incredibly just retarded way that everyone has to talk about it now on, on all sides. Um, and the same thing with like the economy, like he doesn't have to put in any kind of like partisan digs at anyone right? because he's just above it all. <laughs> he's a professor at Harvard. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in like your little peon uh, when, struggles. That, when that meant something yeah exactly sure exactly yeah exactly um like he's not been completely like brainwormed with social media and the internet and all of that other stuff mm -hmm. um so you know like i guess I'm, I'm i'm getting to the do i recommend it or not i think <laughs> yeah, I, i'm can, sure that can we talk about something before we get to recovery? yeah yeah which is uh, I, so I do want to get to that section about reaffirmation of liberalism. Okay. So that's that's kind of like his. It's kind of the, the. You're right. It is the concluding part of one of the essays, but it kind of serves as a conclusion for the whole book. And the point is, or the question I ask is, does he offer any solution? Right. He's he's um, identified the problem. Right. He's diagnosed the illness here. These contradictions um, uh, does he offer any way to reconcile them and I, I don't think he does I think he, he, he kind of acts like he does by saying that we need to reaffirm liberalism uh, he, he basically he identifies really the death of the Protestant work ethic and Puritanism right it's really that's a religion as the source of all of this right because religion was the check on the hedonism the check on capitalism just going just the market giving you what you demand see I don't, i'm not sure i agree with him that it's capitalism that does it i think it's more it's liberalism and capitalism is just the handmaiden to liberalism uh, -huh. uh that's me but anyhow anyhow uh the point is, is it's religion so well, you would think right, that he would say yeah an illiberal society for example could just ban pornography shops correct or close this close the the liquor store on a sunday like they do all over the correct fucking place in the south uh, <laughs> and and as a result you will probably get um less growth um but well, that is something that a particular polity might with different values a religious one let's say might accept right um uh anyhow um but he, so basically while he acknowledges that that he he correctly i think identifies diagnoses that that's the issue when it comes to the solution you think he would say and he kind of hints at this throughout where the where it's like you need to have some kind of uh, religious reawakening to address any of these things but basically in the end he uh, i think he's just too much of an atheist um he doesn't say that and he just says that we need to um reaffirm our past whatever that means 
um, we need to recognize the limits, the limits of our resources and the priority uh, of our needs over our wants. Okay, that's nice to say, but like when those things are being confused, as you've outlined, that's a problem. Um, you need to have, he basically says that we need to um, understand that the real equality that matters is equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. Uh -huh. right and it's like okay guy like nice but like that that's not uh, I, I guess yeah it'd be very nice if people if liberalism stopped at where i felt comfortable <laughs> yes right yeah and, it's everyone's yeah. favorite yeah yeah yes that's yeah that, that's uh many such cases yeah many such cases yeah, yeah. so anyhow yeah yes i mean yeah, like you said, it's a little surprising. Like, so that's that is in part two of the book. If you want to call part two, one and two, there's just that. By, by the way, yeah, like yeah. I kept going through this book, and it was it would be like um, part one, the you know the something the the structure of socio technical contradiction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then it would say a, and then a one, and then like, and then by the end, I would get to some part. I'd be reading, and then all of a sudden, it would say. Um, the same section thing, right? C, and I'm like, I'm in section C of what? <laughs> like, I, I would have no idea. Like, it, right. it had so many subparts and essays, and yeah, yeah. Sorry, go go ahead. It's all good though. <laughs> um, here's a word I didn't I didn't even bother looking up. I figured you would. This is the the essay towards the great inspiration. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so there's a lot of uh, like religious talk in this particular chapter. And like you said, he there's a there's a long section or more than one uh, his discussion of the sacred and the profane, mm -hmm. right? And the importance of having some sort of sacred, and how you actually like can't even you can't really have a society without something being sacred. And you know, obviously the rest is profane, but like you actually need something um, that you call sacred in order to just like not just are screwing each other in the public square like every day. Right. Um, and um, like the, the very last paragraph of that, I'll just read it because like, yeah, it's, yeah, he's, he's such a weird person. And he, so he says, and finally we have to live, <clears throat> we have to live along a different axis as well to move from the temporal, the past, the present and the future, which so obsesses to the spatial, to see the world as it should be as a space of, quote, allotted portions, end quote, as a separation of realms. To understand the transcendent, man requires a sense of the sacred. To remake nature, man can invade the profane. But there is no, but if, if there is no separation of realms, if the sacred is destroyed, then we are left with the shambles of appetite and self-interest and the destruction of the moral circle which engirds mankind. Can we, must we not, reestablish that which is sacred and that which is profane? And it's like, eh, I don't think you're going to do it with like tax policy and uh, right. <laughs> reformation of the criminal, uh, you know, like the law code or whatever. Not not in the way that right. you talked about. Or, because that's not the place for like a liberal polity, right? That's not what a liberal government is supposed to do. It's not supposed to give you correct. the sacred and the profane because um, it's not really so liberal anymore. They're quite the opposite. So um yeah it's i mean that's the contradiction right <laughs> like he's he is living in it he is living in it that's a very um, good way to put it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, i'm sure he knows that like 
maybe this is just a way to kind of muddle through because he, as he points out like so i'm not sure i agree with this anymore like social change actually occurs very slowly like people kind of get caught up in like war and revolution like even like crazy violent kind of cataclysmic events don't necessarily change the structure of society or the family or social life um that quickly like it takes a very long time for those things to change right. i'm not quite sure that's so true anymore or maybe we're kind of living at the beginning of like feeling those changes um but you know maybe he's just maybe he thinks that you know it's going to take a very long time for either the good or the bad to show up probably the bad <laughs> but in the meantime we like we do have this giant country of hundreds of millions of people and we should try to do the best we can uh with what we have um because as he says right he's a he is a liberal in politics so he is going to try to use liberal solutions to 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 these problems so i think you know we can cut him a little break <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, he isn't going to go like Patrick Deneen, right? Or no, no, clearly not. Yeah, and having lived through, you know, fascism and communism, right, and having been part of like a communist movement, I'm sure you know there is that personal knowledge of like all the bad that can happen when you actually try to use uh, the state to kind of um, force through those changes. So. But yes, I agree that. Like, what what is he? What what would what are people really after? Is it just not that there's a bad thing, right? If you want to like improve housing or stop sending black people to death row for for racist reasons, those things should those are kind of noble uh, goals. But it is odd to kind of put that. I totally agree. Say into like a book about maybe he just needed to pad it <laughs> even more. <laughs> Uh, uh yeah yeah i mean policy yeah. though people it's love in, policy people love policy but you know it's it's insoluble um he laments the lack of civitas right that as a result of our atomization etc cetera, etc cetera. um so the, the problem is is that you know you, you can try to stick through uh, try to stick to um, liberal means, um, but if there is no civitas, right, and you're the only like, as we say, he is a dying breed, right? Like, there's nobody like him anymore. So, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing what um, Speaker, um, what the hell's his name, McCarthy, and <laughs> Congressman yeah. Gates and Santos um, have in store for us. Right, how how they're going? You know, like the three wise men. The three wise men, right? Like yeah. I, I don't know. And maybe I'm being unfair, but like no, I mean I'm sorry. He's speaker of the house. Um, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like we are, we're like fully in, like the world that he described, just like yeah. hedonism, self-actualization, self-realization insert whatever nonsense term that nobody knows what it means here um i don't you know i don't watch like actual tv tv like network tv it's just like you know streaming youtube whatever every commercial now 
in addition to like not having any straight white men yeah. <laughs> is about feelings yeah it's like um uh what's that like fabric softener with the bear oh like yeah snuggles the bear snuggles yeah snuggles yeah like there was a commercial for whatever brand downy it's downy right uh and i remember commercials for downy it was like about how it made your clothes soft right remember these in the 90s you poke yeah. the bear and he's like giggles ah, it's soft like a like a little teddy bear this commercial had like weepy covid era commercial music and it was all about feelings <laughs> and it was like your emotions and your feelings and it's like it's fucking fabric softener <laughs> <laughs> and but like everything is a is like that now right they don't even tell you i think other people have written about this but like they don't even tell you what this thing fucking does or that it's like, better in this way or that it reduces just you know, if you close if you close your yeah, close your eyes and cut off maybe the last two seconds where they tell you what the product is, you don't know if it's a car or <laughs> a fucking phone or like like Google when they ran their like New Year's commercials that were like three minutes long about like the worst people in the world searching for stupid shit. Uh, or it's a fabric softener and it's like I don't know. Murphy Brown told me that using Sprint, the phone call would be much clearer. You could hear a pin drop right not about how it like is going to make you weep because you're finally calling you know baba yeah. to tell her about you know what your fucking kid did this weekend um excuse my french anyway so it's like it feels like we're i mean i'm sure everyone says this but it feels like we're finally like it is so accelerated and <laughs> so completely like up its own ass <laughs> that like i don't know like where there is to go anymore or maybe it's just going to be like this forever like just hyper em emotive right sentimental completely like irrational and brain dead <laughs> and i know it's just a commercial but like they make those things because they work right uh, most of the time right obviously some things don't work but you, like, would, you would think right like, yeah, like every commercial is like that it's not just one or two it's not like term life insurance, which is like everything. So I, I do wonder, like, like we I, we need someone smarter than me or you maybe to like reinterpret these essays. Yeah. In like 2023, because even the Rebel Cell and um, the Authenticity Hoax, those were written so long ago now. Right. Um, before social media, really even before, I mean, kind of before the internet as we knew it um and before trump and just like hyper polarization um like yeah we need someone with a big big juicy brain to like reinterpret these things for today because like we, you know we have friends that are really into like that last chapter right we're gonna have policy yes. and we're gonna put Humpty dumpty back together again with like the sweetest uh tax code that you can put on a postcard <laughs> and it's like well those are important and like maybe like the, the theory is like we will just muddle through because we have quote talent <laughs> or whatever until yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah but like if that's not really the problem and all you're really doing is making the system that's devouring itself like more efficient <laughs> uh you know that's you know it's not really a solution yeah. Did you notice that um, throughout, uh, it might have been in this certain area specifically, but um, he has really high regard for Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, he does. Supreme Court plays. 
as and basically he sees him as like the ultimate um like the arbiter arbiter and guardians of yeah. uh yeah um that's super interesting right because that's i mean we're ultimately we're really there now right um where all policy is going to be done through the court um policy is not going to get done through congress and there's going to be the ministry of state but whatever they do there is going to get challenged and so ultimately it's whatever the court allows um yeah so god god help us <laughs> yeah i mean a more innocent time the 1970s <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um yeah all right well would you recommend this oh yeah yeah both oh show sure. yeah no this was Listen, if you don't want to buy the whole book, uh, <laughs> um, I, I would. If your time is limited, right, and you're 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 a busy man or woman, the find the most recent version. It has like the broken column on it, and read the uh, the introduction, right. and, because that pretty much um, tells you everything you kind of need to know. Yep. Or even maybe just the first essay, which is entitled the cultural contradictions of capitalism if you want to like get the uh the gist of it i mean those two together are like a almost like a short book in themselves they're probably longer than whatever fukuyama nonsense we read a few <laughs> weeks ago um like yeah i mean that's a good thing it's like can, can you compare like obviously that was a book that's an airport book and it's not even as well written as the um, end of history but like man <laughs> the fall off is a little steep yeah um but yeah, yeah i would definitely recommend it if you if you don't have time read either the first essay which must be available online somewhere anyway um because these were all yep. uh, published elsewhere um but if you want to like kind of wallow in like a great intellect with a lot of interesting things to say about like culture and like painting and, and art and that sort of thing um and then some slightly disappointing stuff at the end when he finally gets into like politics and policy uh, uh, inflation and yeah. the ability of state managed economies and yeah yeah uh, i would <laughs> i would definitely recommend it yeah uh yeah i would recommend it too just be aware of what you're getting yourself into um go in with eyes open this is yeah as you say it's a it's not it's, it's a challenging read um yeah, totally it's, worth doing totally yeah, it's, totally doable i should say it is not written at the eighth grade level Nope. You might need a, uh, a dictionary. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, good. Um, good. I'm glad it was. Yeah. It's been on my list for a very long time. Um, almost as if there's a theme to my interest. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Stably, next time, uh, your pick uh, Obedience is Freedom by Jacob Phillips. Uh, very very interesting very intriguing okay good yes i read a review of it in some like right-wing online magazine i think the critic uh-huh um and it was it was interesting uh it's i don't think it's like a uh it didn't come off as a adrian vermule style you will convert and uh pray to the pope or we'll kill you type thing <laughs> i don't think it's that kind of uh it's not that kind of book at all so uh, I'm looking well, forward with, with, with a description like that. Who can resist? <laughs> Listen. Uh, All right. Yeah, check, I look, check I look it out. Yeah. All right, Sabley. See All you right. next time. All right, Jerry. <laughs>